Welcome to day two of week five of our look together through the book of Luke, chapter 22 today as we walk through a chapter a day. This chapter, Luke chapter 22, any moment in this chapter could take months of study. There's a depth of meaning and history and spirituality and understanding of who God is throughout this chapter. Going through this entire chapter in a few minutes together, it's a reminder to us. We may not be getting in depth into it, but it is a reminder to us of how these events came upon Jesus and his disciples. It was all in one night. It all came at them at once. It was a whirlwind of activity. It begins with something not all of them knew about. It begins with a betrayal. Chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. So this chapter looks with looking forward to a betrayal of Jesus. And in this chapter, we're going to see Jesus being betrayed. But before that happens, we go from this moment of betrayal to a moment of intimacy, of worship together with his disciples. In verses 7 and 8, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat this Passover. The Passover was a religious and a family celebration for every Jewish boy, Jewish girl, Jewish family. So Peter and John, as they made these preparations, they knew exactly what to do. It's for many of us like Christmas would be today. It was the yearly celebration they looked forward to. And Jesus had looked forward to eating this Passover with them. They make all the preparations, and then in verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. What a holy moment. These disciples gather together, and Jesus looks forward to what's going to happen on the cross. Even as you and I, when we take the Lord's Supper together, when we take communion together, there is this sense of holiness as we look back to what Jesus did for us. These first disciples, this first communion, it happened before the cross, looking forward with faith to what Jesus was going to do for them the very next day, give his life on the cross. But even as Jesus is talking to them in this holy moment, he's also being honest with them about the fact that Judas is there ready to betray him. Now, this holy moment, how did the disciples respond to all of this? Like most of us would, the focus was on them and not on Jesus. We tend to do that. Instead of putting the focus on Jesus, we put the focus on ourselves, and so we miss it. Listen to what happened. Verse 23, they began to question among themselves which one of them it might be who would do this. Also, a dispute arose among them about which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves 
benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. So here are the disciples, just like you and I, struggling in this very moment, arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus understood, just like he understands me, he understands you, and we struggle, and so he teaches them, don't worry about who's the greatest. Really, the greatest is the one who serves. The greatest is the one who acts like the youngest. He talked to Peter about the fact, as they're talking about the greatest, Peter's really, you know, I'm going to be great, Lord. I'm never going to struggle. And Jesus has an honest talk with Peter about the fact there's going to come a day very soon when you deny me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. They didn't understand. There were a lot of confusion. And in the midst of that confusion about what to do next, Jesus says, we're going to the garden. They say, should we take some sword? Jesus says, all right, if you have to. You can tell he understands that they don't understand. And they head out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what happened there? Here again is one of those holy moments in this chapter. In verses 39 to 45, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from the prayer, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Jesus praying this awesome, prayer in the garden of Gethsemane knowing that he was going to die on the cross the next day he still entrusts himself to the father and he says father if there's any other way for the salvation of mankind then take this cup from me but he knows in his heart that there is no other way so he says yet not my will but yours be done Jesus did not want to undergo the physical torture of the cross but even more he did not want to undergo the spiritual torture of the cross, taking all the sins of mankind upon a most holy God. If there's any other way, God, let it be. But nevertheless, your will be done. He's asked his disciples to pray for him. And he goes back, and what, what happens? He finds them asleep. As I was reading through Luke this time, I noticed something I never noticed. Why did they fall asleep? Did you notice? They were exhausted from sorrow. You ever felt like that? just exhausted from sorrow. The disciples fell asleep because of their great sadness. They did not understand all that was happening, but they understood that they were on the edge of a great loss. They understood that Judas had left their group for some reason. They understood that something terrible was on the horizon. And it's not long. They're awakened and Judas shows up with the Roman guard and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And upon that betrayal, immediately follows the arrest, the trial of Jesus. In verse 54, then seizing him, the Roman guard, they led him away and they took him into the house of the high priest. Peter, Peter followed at a distance. Peter, when he gets to this trial, he's out in the courtyard and he's challenged. Didn't you know Jesus? Weren't you one of his followers? It happens three times and three times. And who knows why? Because he was afraid, because he didn't want to be chased away from the trial because he didn't want to be identified with Jesus, because he just didn't want to have the hassle of talking about it. Who knows the motivation? Three times, though, Peter says, I don't know him. 
I am not one of his followers. Three times he denies Jesus. And then there comes another holy moment. To me, one of the most emotional moments in all of the book of Luke. Peter has denied Jesus three times. The rooster crows. Then in verses 61 and 62, then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. That moment, that holy moment, in the midst of his trial, in the midst of looking forward to his crucifixion, Jesus knows that Peter is there. And he turns and he looks at Peter. I don't believe he had the look of disappointment, like you're, you're never going to be able to make this right, Peter. The look of Jesus is always a look of hope, but it was also a look of honesty. And Peter couldn't look him in the eye because he, he had said he'd never reject him, and yet he'd rejected him. He had to get back to the place, and he's going to get there after the resurrection. He had to get back to the place where he could look Jesus in the eye. The question for you and me is, can you look Jesus in the eye right now? Well, if he's to turn and look at you about that situation, about that relationship, about that thing that you said, if there's anything between you and him, make it right with him right now. He wants to make it right. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he's going to do what he's going to do as we read through the rest of this chapter so that you can look him in the eye, forgiven because of what he's done. While Peter is outside weeping, the mock trial of Jesus continues. The Roman powers, in verse 63, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking him and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy who hit you. The Jewish religious leaders in verse 66, at daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. Here they are, all coming together against Jesus. So who is it? This is the question many people have. Who is it that actually condemned Jesus to death? Was it the Roman powers, or was it the Jewish religious leaders? It was neither. Oh, they were part of the process. Historically, they were the ones that happened to be there, but they weren't the ones that condemned Jesus to death. Who condemned Jesus to death? I did. You did. Jesus died for my sin. He died for your sin. He chose to die for those things that would have kept me from relationship with God not only in this earth, but for all eternity. So the, the thought that some people have of who, who's to blame, it's always made me scratch my head. I'm to blame. You're to blame. We're all to blame. But it's really not about blame. It's really about choice. Jesus chose to give his life for us. Jesus chose to go through this ridicule, through these trials. Why? Because he loves you. Let's pray together. Lord, as we think about Peter, and that look from Jesus. We don't want to look into your eyes and feel feelings of guilt or shame or rejection. And we see in the cross that we do not have to. So I pray that if we've been feeling that way recently, if guilt has been overwhelming, help us to go to the cross. Help us to find new hope and new faith in you. So Jesus, we can look you in the eye forgiven because of what you've done. We can look you in the eye looking forward to the future that you have for us. In your name we ask this. Amen. Tomorrow, 
Jesus gives the greatest gift. He makes the greatest sacrifice. 